This Week in HPC. Changes in store for HPC. A look ahead to 2015. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everybody, and thanks for listening into a special edition of This Week in HPC covering the end of 2014 and looking ahead to 2015. I'm Addison Snell, and this is Michael Feldman. We're with Intersect 360 Research, and This Week in HPC is distributed in partnership with Top500.org. Michael, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you. We've had a fun year in 2014, and now we talked in our last podcast about some of the big news stories that happened and really how 2014 started major transitions in the HPC industry. It's time for us to look ahead to 2015 and think a little bit about what we might have in store this year. And one big theme that we had from last year is this notion of specialization in architecture. We didn't really talk about big data specifically, which has been a major trend in HPC. How do you think this uh, big data trend overlaps with specialization as we go into next year? Well, yeah. I mean, I think what we saw in in 2014 and, and maybe even the year before that is a lot more companies uh, putting out uh, big data appliances, or at least uh, these fat node SMPs that that doubled as big data appliances of sorts. You know, we saw Huawei, SGI, Bull, Supermicro, and a few others come out with these these fat node systems. But we actually saw appliances from from people like Cray. They added the Hadoop, Eureka appliance. SGI came out with their new versions of uh, UV. That's that's always been big data oriented. And then, I, of course, IBM's whole strategy for their power systems coming out is, is now about a data-centric platform. Right. Um, With their so, elastic storage. Yeah, and the elastic storage. I think on, on different levels, we're seeing a lot of move to these, these, these big data appliances in the in sort of the context of a diverse, a more diverse server uh, system uh, portfolio. Yeah, I think this is going to continue not only even in big data, I think appliances in general. And we've seen a few other types of appliances in the market. Altair's Hyperworks is a good example of a CAE type of appliance. And and I think as architectures uh, inevitably become more complex or more specialized, it's really going to open the door for more of these types of application-built computers. Uh, other examples of this include what we saw from Convey uh, with their uh, different, what they called personalities of machines, things that are FPGA-based really want to be trained to a particular application set. So, we could be seeing not only big data appliances, but engineering appliances, finance appliances. I don't know if we'll get as far as a seismic appliance. Those tend to be pretty scalable types of applications. But but these types of specialized architectures, I, I think will will uh, will only be increasing uh, in the in the HPC landscape. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that is a good bet, especially as as sort of the the whole industry moves towards this more user friendly and and uh, sort of purpose built model. I think we will start to see more of this type of specialization uh, in, in the industry. 
you were talking about IBM. I mean, they're really set up for it with the x86 business having gone over to Lenovo. And it, it already gets us looking at the changing vendor dynamics here and who's going to be the number one server vendor going into 2015 or through 2015. Who, who was it even for, for 2014, looking at the changing vendor shares going forward? This is something that we'll have to add up once all the vendors close their books. But, you know, what do you think about the changing vendor dynamics here? Well, I mean, that's going to be really interesting now. Of course, the, the, the big news here, the split off from uh, from the x86 business with Lenovo is, is really going to mix it up. But we also saw changes in the others. I mean, Dell went uh, private last year, HP split. That doesn't affect any any of their server business directly, but indirectly it does. And then, uh, you know, you see companies like Cray and SGI uh, mixing up their business in different ways and Cray coming on strong. It, it's it's going to be a different mix, certainly in 2014, but I think 2015, uh, I think we're going to see a lot of changes in, in, the, in the vendor shares for the server business in HPC. Uh, going back to 2007, when we started Intersect 360 Research as Tabor Research, we had IBM as the number one HPC server vendor by revenue share every year, and generally by a, a fairly significant or easy-to-call margin. Now, 2013, they fell back quite a lot, as, as IBM, even before the sale of x86 to Lenovo was, comp was complete, they were losing share based on a lot of the uh, uncertainty in their product line as customers knew this was coming. It was difficult for their field to engage. And it got to where in, in 2013, that gap had narrowed to where there was only less than two points of, of share separating IBM at the top through Dell in second place to HP in, in third. Uh, Dell overtook HP into second place that year. So now, uh, with, with a lot of the share of IBM going over to Lenovo, the, the first question is going to be, who's going to be number one? One is it going to be HP or Dell? And it's it's almost really hard to even hazard a guess. I think if I had to guess, I would say it's going to be Dell. Uh, but uh, we need to add up uh, uh, HP's year, and uh, you know, as you pointed out, Dell has gone private, so there's only so much visibility right. you can get into their numbers. We'll look at the surveys, see how each company has done uh, uh, in the mentions in surveys as we as we total up uh, which of those companies is number one now. Yeah, and I think the sort of the bottom of that top five list is sort of the most interesting part. I think there's just going to be a lot more parity now in the in the one to five slot in general, and certainly the, the three to five slot. So right, um, I, I think Lenovo is going to be number three. I don't see anyone uh, who's who's going to challenge for that. Nor is Lenovo going to challenge HP or Dell for for the number one, number two slot. But yeah, then when you get down to four, four is probably still IBM, but we're going to need to look at Cray and SGI and Fujitsu and Bull and, you know, look at all of the revenues for those companies to, to see uh, see how the number four and five slots shake out. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think any of those companies you just mentioned could could mix it up in the, those, those five to seven slots. It's, it's, it's going to be a little bit closer, and some of those companies are, are definitely expanding while others are contracting. So, Well, it goes to the point that 
that Cray has been growing like crazy. They've announced uh, even more wins uh, over the course of this year, and they'll have to close their books. I think Cray has guided that their revenue will be dependent on uh, revenue recognition and acceptance of systems in Q4. They've had a, a few more wins get announced this quarter, but whether or not the revenue hits their books has everything to do with acceptance of those systems. So uh, we'll see how Cray closes out its books uh, would probably affect the ranking of that company there. Right. And they, they said their, uh, their cluster business they, they bought from APRO has been growing even faster than it was under APRO. So, we could see in 2015 that that also continuing that trend, and they'll become you know players maybe uh, above what they've been in the past. So, that'll be interesting to watch as well. Well, related to this is another major trend we talked about in our, our year-in-review podcast for 2014, which was we had a lot of very noteworthy uh, restructurings, uh, acquisitions, divestitures, mergers, and the like. Uh, you know, do you see that continuing in 2015? seems like there's always something. Yeah, there is always something. I can't remember a year since, since I've been following this uh, this industry where there hasn't been quite a few acquisitions. And yeah, we will see that. The, the, the no, question Handicap is, that for me pick one. What do you think will happen? <laughs> well, it's tough. I mean, we've seen a lot of storage acquisitions. So, I, I mean, the safe bet, we'll see another one. But who that'll be, I mean, we, I think we've, we've talked in the past about Intel uh, being ripe for a storage acquisition. So, yeah, I, that's, that's my pick. I think Intel will acquire a storage vendor. And, and the, there's a fair chance that that could happen in 2015. Now, which storage vendor? I, I had yeah. initially thought that they might get the cluster store line of business from Xyrotech tax out of the Seagate deal. That seems a lot less likely now. Um, and uh, if that's not going to happen, then does that bring DDN or Panassas or a company like that into play for Intel? Could be interesting. Yeah, could. Those are all good bets. I mean, there's SanDisk out there as well. I mean, there's a lot of good storage companies that Intel could like. But, you know, two... Or another company that that is not exactly just pure storage, um, it's memory as well. That I think Intel and uh, gets along with and, and seems to have a synergy with is Micron Technologies. It's it's not mm. a big company. It's about a, a fifth of, of the size, or a little bit less than that than than Intel. But they work together on the 3D uh, memory technology. They work together on the Flash NAND technology. I see a nice synergy there, and I think Intel, you know, could could easily make a play for them should they. They decide to do so if they think that's a strategic buy for them. That's an interesting pick. So we're both kind of on the on the thought that Intel will stay on a roll and, and keep acquiring companies uh, that, that move Intel up the value chain. As much as as analysts, we don't like to predict what's going to go on with any one specific company. Here, Intel is really so noteworthy in how they're changing the industry dynamics that it's almost inevitable that you go in and and talk about that. It's like Intel is a is a single company, but it's indicative of a of a of a class unto itself. Like when we talked about Microsoft with relation to uh, Windows, right? Well, it's you know predicting Windows is really the same as predicting Microsoft, and and here predicting Intel is is the same as predicting x86. Now I think it's also possible if we're talking about chip companies that Nvidia might look at at another company to swallow, but there the the choices are more nebulous. They, I think they want to get position against uh, Intel and possibly AMD, but I'm not sure what the logical choice is there for a buy there. 
AMD is another interesting company to mention. I don't know that I'd put them in any kind of acquisition category right, right. now. I would say that this is going to be a critical year for AMD in 2015, where they're going to have to uh, start to make a significant move if they want to remain relevant in this conversation. Yeah, I mean, they've got some interesting products on the line. They're going to have a, a, a nice uh, uh, APU server chip out, and as well as a nice uh, ARM chip out, which maybe we'll talk about later. And they've got, as always, they've got very powerful GPUs that they aim at the, at the general purpose market. But like you said, they're going to have to make a move uh, to, to sort of establish themselves against the competition here, since they've sort of always been runner-ups. But uh, Yeah, they've got good technology. They've yeah. got more market dynamics going in their favor in terms of the user's willingness right now to evaluate all the technologies that are on the table. Uh, if you make a move now, AMD could see a, a significant regain uh, in their position. But I think if they wait on it, then people are going to start making up their minds on technology, and AMD is not going to be part of the conversation. So they got to get going. Yeah, they do. And 2015 is the year Knight's Landing is going to be, be launched, so this going to have that competition, too. And I think people are going to start making bets. In fact, they, are, they already are making bets with Knight's Landing. There's already been a few systems announced with, with that system that's gonna, that are going to be delivered in that year. So, yeah, like we said, AMD's going to have sort of a critical year, I think, in 2015 for this space. I'll give you another group of companies that I think is going to have a critical year are some of the larger enterprise storage vendors. When you look at EMC, NetApp, Hitachi Data Systems, these companies have traditionally been on top of the revenue share heap in our storage models, just because people buy so much enterprise storage revenue from them. And furthermore, they all move to acquire high-performance lines. NetApp with their right. E-Series that came from LSI, uh, uh, Hitachi with uh, BlueArc, and EMC with Isilon. But we, you know, those stories have not been as strong as they could have been. They've really allowed companies like Xyratex and DDN and, and Panassis to be the dominant voices in the high-performance space. You know, what are you going to do if, if, if you've been in the this this top revenue position? There's an expanding need for high-performance storage, but we haven't seen any kind of strength in position or message from those three big enterprise storage companies. I'd like to see something from them soon. Yeah, I think that's always a problem when you, you sort of swallow a company sort of outside of your realm. It, it takes a little while for the the company culture and, and some some of the technology familiarity to get uh, to settle there. But you know th those those acquisitions have been now you know a year or two, three years in the past, and maybe we'll see more a more coherent strategy that in, in 2015 and beyond. Well, speaking of beyond 2015, we're talking about Intel and some of their acquisitions, which a lot of that is related to Intel's exascale strategy, if yeah. you ask me. And uh, one uh, last thing that we saw starting to build up in 2014 was a lot of the pre-exascale announcements. We talked about Coral. We talked about Bull and and uh, and their uh, exascale architecture. If the European Commission
Commission wants to get on board. Japan funded a strategy. Didn't really hear much from China on Exascale in 2014. Do you want to re-handicap the Exascale race and, and how you think this will continue to evolve in 2015? We're not going to have a an Exascale system yet or, or probably even 100 petaflops by the end of 2015. But how does Exascale continue to shake out? Well, I think I think the the view is is about the same as it's been for last year. I mean, like like you mentioned, Japan had the announcement basically at the end of uh, at the very end of 2013 about their plans that they they sort of put a stake in the ground for a, a 2020 exascale system. And I think that the smart money is still there for the first uh, uh, system to come out. Uh, Especially because the U.S. itself is is now talking about 2023, at least for the DOE, mm-hmm. and, which we assume will be the first agency with an exascale system. They're talking about three years beyond what what Japan is talking about for their first exascale system. So, um, unless something shifts dramatically there, it looks like Japan has the inside track, and it's just uh, the question would be if China decides to come up and, and fund something very quickly, uh, that would probably be the only real competitor uh, of Japan's plans at this point. Uh, you used to think China would come in first. You don't think so anymore? Well, I don't I don't think so anymore. I think uh, I mean I think it's still a possibility, but they haven't talked about it in a while and there's there's some turmoil I think turmoil going on in China about what to do next. I, I think they're still sort of figuring out their last set of uh, big systems they put into the field and, and sort of grappling with sort of the, the complexities of, of, you know, the size of systems they already have, and maybe they're, they're reevaluating sort of their strategy now. Um, I think it comes down to just the government in China and, and this administration's support of supercomputing. I don't think as strong as it was in the previous administration. And uh, uh, I don't know if China will even be in the top three in terms of countries going to exascale. Um, well, I would think they're, they're going to be in the top three. I mean, uh, I read just uh, a few weeks ago, actually, China is now the uh, largest economy in the world. They, they overtook the U.S., in GDP with this new calculation that didn't seem to get much press coverage, but sure enough, they're they're number one, or if they're not number one by this calculation, they're they're right, they're almost tied with us. So they, it, it's just a matter of political will if they want to put that money into into this sort of uh, project or not. I think. Uh, at some point in the next five years, they're going to decide, and if they decide to do so, they could easily beat uh, Japan to the punch here. But um, you know, they're they're running out of time. It's not like you can build this system in, in just a couple of years. They have to make a commitment fairly quickly now. I think they're going to focus on things like infrastructure and programs that more directly and immediately affect the growing Chinese middle class. I think you see Japan up there, and uh, and uh, probably the United States and France can get there now before China gets there. Uh, that's a possibility, but I would still handicap uh, the U.S. and uh, and Europe as well. Um, but we'll see. I mean, the you know we we did talk about that task force report in the middle of this year. Uh, that was put together by the, uh, or for the for the Department of Energy, and they they are still looking kind of far out there at the 2022 and 2023 timeframe. They still have to decide on how to fund this thing. I mean, I think they're going to decide in 2015 on what the funding is going to be like for for these systems. But uh, once they get that in place, they'll still have five years to come up with something. And you know, I th- I think you know they're looking like they'll be in that. 
time frame we talked about, but it won't be a, it won't be enough if, if China wants to do something and make a move. They'll they'll still be number three. Well, I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see. And that's yes. something that we won't be able to answer in 2015. But when we get to the end of 2015, we'll probably be able to handicap it again. Yep. But uh, all of our other questions will be answered if we just wait and see, Michael. Yes, wait and see. That's <laughs> that's the business. Another year of podcasts in front of us, but uh, closing out 2014 and looking forward to a happy new year. I'm Addison Snell, and that's Michael Feldman, and you've been listening to This Week in HPC. Been listening to This Week in HPC, 